I think you will have a lot of reverse ferreting, a lot of um, hastily deleted tweets. I do think there's a little bit of recognition that, oh, might have bought the wrong side. But rather than sort of holding their hands up and saying, sorry, uh, you know, sorry about mutilating and sterilising a whole fucking generation of children. Oops. Instead of that, I think they're just sort of going to quieten down, pretend that they always had reservations, focus on something else. I think, gutting though it is, I think they'll probably get away with it. Welcome to the New Flesh Podcast, the podcast you deserve. My name is Ricky Orpike. Joining me once again is Mr. Jonathan Astro. How are you, sir? Yeah, good, Ricky. So, are you Team Turf or not? You're either with us or against us. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Well, look, you know, I don't like labels, but um, you know, I, I think, yeah, yeah, I think I am. Okay. okay. Well, if Chappelle is Team Turf, then we've got to be Team Turf, right? Yeah. Like it's it just it's also a cool sound. I think they if they wanted to make it sound worse they should have made a like a nastier sounding acronym because it sounds kind of cool it does yeah it's a cool sounding acronym so you sort of like tough turf you sound like something out of the warriors yep yeah you know yeah i think i think we should embrace it whereas i would just call some of the other people on the other side losers so (laughs) but that's just me anyway that don't that's that's my personal views not the views of our guest today uh joe bartosh returning guest uh, very popular guest by the way well uh as usual, I'm, I don't want to talk to Ricky anymore. I want to talk to Joe. So let's do that. Joe Bartosz is a journalist campaigning for the rights of women and girls. She's a prolific contributor to a wide range of publications, including The Times, The Telegraph, The Critic, The Spectator, Mail on Sunday, Unheard, Spiked, and others. You can also read her thought provoking columns in 4W, a feminist news site, and Genspect, an organization that offers a rational approach to gender. Joe is a returning guest. Her first appearance was in March 2022. And her interview is currently the most downloaded episode in our catalogue. Uh, the world loves you, Joe. Welcome back to the New Flesh. <laughs> that, lovely to be here. I'm not sure the world does love me, but I'll take it. <laughs> so uh, what's life like on Turf Island at the moment? Exciting. Um, it, it has just been court case after court case. Um, so at the moment, there's, um, there's a teacher who, um, who is um, having to defend himself against charges of... Um, of terrorism. Um, so he's taken an employment tribunal against his employers um, after he was reported to Prevent, which is our anti-terrorist organisation, for daring to um, break ranks on the uh, on, on the gender nonsense. And, um, and yeah, we've got a, an ongoing court case with the um, LGB Alliance as well, who are the UK's only organisation, only charity for um, lesbian, gay and bisexual people. So it's exciting. <laughs> yes, definitely. Well, uh, I, I can't keep up with the scandals in this space. So literally before this recording, you were sitting in uh, like a Zoom meeting, uh, sitting in on the hearing that is currently taking place involving two charities, the LGB Alliance and trans rights organisation Mermaids. Can you sort of bring us up to speed with this case? Yeah, sure. I mean, the case itself um, is against the registration of the LGB Alliance as a charity. So they were um, put on the Register of Charities last year and there was a huge backlash. And I mean, they have been monstered since their inception. And um, I mean, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I think they're slightly wet. To be honest, I'm, I, I'm a supporter of them. I'm going to be um, I'm going to be chairing an event at their conference. And I think they're they're great people, but they're very very middle of the road. They have a very considered, gentle approach, um, and you know, yet they're being sort of absolutely monstered as transphobic. Um, and the case is actually against the charity commission itself for for daring to register them. 
um, although they at the time released quite a, a lengthy document explaining their reasons for doing so. And it's been bought by mermaids who are a deeply dodgy, frankly, um, charity. Um, the head of mermaids is a woman called Susie Green. I don't know if you're aware of her. I don't think so. No. So she is a woman who took her child um, when, and I should be careful about my pronouns here because I don't want to get sued, um, took, took her child when uh, they were 15 for surgery as a 16th birthday present to Thailand, having previously got medication um, from a really dodgy doctor, sorry, an esteemed doctor in the US, um, uh, puberty blockers and then cross-sex hormones. So her child, uh, who um, was essentially a very effeminate boy, um, is now uh, obviously had a, a full sex change in his style as an adult, which is a, a hell of a decision to make it um, at 16 when you can't even get it to two. Thailand, incidentally, have now stopped, um, have now stopped sex reassignment surgery. Um, for under 18s um, and I should be really careful about this because she um, did uh, set the police on um, somebody a couple of years ago who dared to suggest that she had had her child castrated um, thankfully charges were dropped but um, but yeah she's also quite litigious so rather than her being in court for um, for what she's done and for the organization that she heads and for what they've um, they've been pushing, um, it's the LGBT alliance. So, so basically, they're they're trying to uh, get their uh, their charity status taken away. Is that basically what it is? Yes. Um, so they um, have argued that um, that the uh, LGBT alliance don't do any sort of charitable actions. I mean, to be honest, it's very hard for them to do anything charitable because they are constantly firefighting um, the abuse that they get from trans activists. They have just got a grant, and obviously it's very hard for them to fundraise or get grants, particularly when they keep having to spend so much money on bloody court cases. So they have managed to get a grant to set up a helpline for LGB youth. Um, and one of their, their the primary things that they've been trying to raise awareness of is the medical transition of children who might otherwise grow up to be lesbian, gay, or bisexual. Um, they had a campaign called Gay Teens Aren't Sick, in which they tried to kind of raise awareness of the fact that the majority, well, I don't know if it's a majority, but a disproportionate number of those referred to the Tavistock Clinic, which was, and it has just been shut down, the UK's um, only clinic for youngsters with gender dysphoria, where they could sort of get puberty blockers, blah, 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 blah. So they tried to, um, to, to to raise awareness that there were loads of gay children or sort of proto-gay children, I suppose, because obviously, you know, children don't really, you know, um, who are identifying as the opposite sex. And this is obviously being considered terrible and transphobic and all the rest of it. And we've just had John Nicholson, who is an MP, Scottish MP, um, in the court, um, accusing them of suggesting that... Um, of, of basically accusing them of transphobia and um and yeah it's quite fascinating to, to hear an elected politician spout absolute nonsense um and i really hope he's called to account on it well i would have thought that this is exactly the sort of forum that trans uh i want to say trans ideologues but let's just say any anyone from you know that side of the fence the, the trans act, uh, activists side that this is the sort of forum that they'd want to stay away from because if you have to put your hand over a Bible and risk, you know, I don't know what the laws are like in, in the UK, but if you have to risk perjury or if you're asked to state facts over a, over a Bible or in a deposition or whatever the, the equivalents might be, there might be some questions you, you, you don't want to have to answer, right? Yeah, 
And it's been, I mean, it's, it, it's been quite telling watching them give evidence because clearly they are totally unused to being challenged. So John Nicholson, you know, elected member of parliament, he's blocked me on Twitter, never interacted with the man, but he's blocked me on Twitter. He blocks anyone he disagrees with on Twitter um, and is just absolutely resolute um, in his belief that it is the same as being gay was in the 1980s. He's utterly convinced that that's, that's the sort of parallel. And I think it's quite telling that he has been so unused to being questioned um, that he hasn't prepared his arguments. The only thing he has is fury. And the judge has picked him up a couple of times. Um, and the um, the QC representing the LGBT alliance has picked him up a couple of times because it, it, all he has is invective. And he can't actually explain why the LGBT alliance has been um, has been transphobic. He just keeps saying, oh, well, you know, they're coyly suggesting. They're coyly suggesting what? They're just being, you know, it's just a point of view. So in a way, it's been brilliant that this is finally, you know, we're finally seeing the mechanisms of state, even though it's a case supposedly um, against the LGBT alliance, in a way. It's been really good to see the mechanisms of state and scrutiny and law kind of come crashing down on this absolute nonsense. Yeah, well, we spoke to Joanna Williams recently, and that's something she said, that that we need to start shedding a light on what, what these people think or, or, and, and the kinds of things that they're doing, because once it sees the light of day and once people know what's going on, that uh, they're not going to get away with it for much longer. Uh, do you have a sense that that's, that's the way it should be going? Definitely. And I think, you know, it's, it's really given me a renewed respect for institutions weirdly um you know it is quite exciting to see the courts doing what they're supposed to be doing and to see you know medical professionals slowly starting to go hang on a minute (laughs) and actually apply scientific rigor to to their processes and procedures as they should have done in the first bloody place so we've had the CAS report come out recently which is a a huge piece of work looking at services for children with gender dysphoria um, obviously, lots of those children identify as trans and have been put on this medical pathway, which is essentially experimental. And as a result, we have seen the Tavistock Clinic, which was the clinic I mentioned earlier, shut down. So, you know, it, it is good to see things slowly, to see sense slowly prevail and to see all these sort of like, you know, enlightenment institutions, if you like, kind of roll into action and actually hold people to account. But it should never have got this far. <laughs> it's just insane that 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 organisations were so easily captured. Yeah, well, we have some questions on the uh, Tavistock Clinic, but maybe before we we ask those, uh, if if you had a crystal ball, uh, how do you think this is going to go? Is uh, mermaids just going to be told to to go packing? Or I mean, it's really hard because it's only sort of day three of um, of the evidence, and it's been really difficult to get into the case so I think I've probably seen about an hour of it in total <laughs> um just because the court why is it so hard as a side point but why is it so hard to see this thing I don't know I mean I'm trying not to be paranoid about it because I think it's very easy to sort of jump to jump to the the paranoid conclusion but I think it's probably just very poor court admin they are pretty underfunded um and understaffed so I think it's incompetence rather than malice, but they've really struggled with the volume of interest because obviously it's it's a it's an employment tribunal. They're not used to having that many people going. Oh my god, not an employment. Talk, talk about being out of touch, though. Like like imagine they look at the court documents and they're like, oh yes, uh, trans stuff, and they go and they look at each other and they go, oh yeah, this will just be another day at the office. And you say. <laughs> you, you guys, you guys obviously don't read spiked or anything. You don't know. Which, okay, all right, fair enough. <laughs> 
Yeah, so I think I think they've just been overwhelmed. Um, and I say there's another course case going on at the moment as well with this um, with this teacher who um, he was reported to prevent. <laughs> so, so what what was he reported on? Was he uh, he misgendered someone or? No, so there's another case, funny enough, in Ireland where that's happened. Um, there there was some questions around the chap himself. I mean, I think the, in Ireland the chap himself, yes, he's a religious bloke and he's got some you know unsavory views but so what um and he's um he's been imprisoned for um i know this story yes he got he 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 basically uh yeah it just doesn't align with his with his religious views and therefore and and the court has said that's not the the, the he's he's gone to uh, the clink to uh, rather than bend to their will yeah, which, you know, fair news. <laughs> I guess that's what happens when one religious belief clashes against another. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, the other case that I mentioned, um, his name's Bernard Randall, and he was, and he wasn't a teacher, I'm so sorry, um, he's a vicar, or a kind of pastoral assistant type thing within a school, um, and he objected. Chaplain. Chaplain, that's the one, Yeah. So sorry. Anyway, yes. So he gave um, a sermon in which he basically said, you know, we live in a pluralist society. Can we please all respect each other's opinions? Ooh, and he dared to mention um, some of the controversy around the trans stuff and um, or indeed, you know, the biological reality versus mentalness stuff. Anyway, um, as a result, yeah, he was reported to prevent and he lost his job and he's now taking an employment um, case against against them. So, yeah all quite exciting in the UK. Yeah, well, we'll have to keep our eyes on that one. Uh, you, you mentioned the, Trav- T- uh, the Tavistock Clinic earlier, and so that's UK's only dedicated gender identity clinic for children and young people. Uh, it, it's been slated for shutdown. So what, what's your take on this? Is, this? is this a positive step? Yeah, I mean, broadly, um, so Hilary Cass, who conducted the review, she just basically said that, um, that it wasn't safe. Um, and the Tavistock had for a long time been... I mean, the figures actually aren't that big when you look at the number of children who were given puberty blockers. But then, of course, a lot of them just got them online. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's the other thing, you know, without even having a referral. So, But the Tavistock were allowed to give out puberty blockers as part of an extended trial, which they then basically didn't collect the adequate data on. So we've been going on, I think, since about 2011 or something. And there was a bit of a suggestion that it was possibly because they wanted to get patients coming to them because they are, um, the way they're funded depends upon the number of patients that they have. So that has been a possible suggestion because they're, um, oh God, what is it? Um, a, it's a particular a primary care trust. So it's possibly to do with the funding that they wanted to try and get people in. They knew that if they offered these drugs, um, which are experimental, they have been deemed experimental by a judge. You know, they are we just starting to look at the, in well, the US federal um, uh, federal drug, what is it, Food and Drug Administration? FDA, yes. FDA, yeah. FDA. They've just, um, they ruled, I think in June, that, um, that there were potential side effects, including uh, brain swelling and vision loss. Um, all sorts of really horrific potential side effects that are just starting to come out now. So anyway, so they were sort of, the the, the practices were very much informed by ideology. They had over a five-year period, they had 35 clinicians resign. There was allegedly a a dark joke amongst clinicians there that soon there would be no gay people left because they knew 
that so many of the kids who were being referred there were being referred by homophobic parents or they had internalized homophobia, but essentially it's a way of changing the sex of gay children or proto-gay children so that they'd grow up to be technically heterosexual. Um, although obviously you can't really change sex, but you know what I mean. So um, a sort of a copy of a heterosexual, I guess. So yeah, I mean, it was really clearly, there were some terrible things going on there. There's a clinic in um, Scotland called the Sandyford Clinic, which is starting to get sim- a similar level of scrutiny. And um, and that's, that's had very similar procedures. I think the thing that worries me about smaller centres being set up around the country which is um, the suggestion, is that you may just end up with the same sort of ideological nonsense, but with it sort of dispersed, so it'll be even harder to um, act on. So in a way, and you know, and that's the other thing, I mean, in a way, I feel like we're, we're tackling this in London, we're tackling this in the big institutions, but actually at a smaller level, um, so I, d- I don't live in London, um, and where I live, you know, the, the trans stuff is only just starting to like hit the local council, hit the local hospital, hit the local, you know, that they're just not particularly aware. So I kind of think by the time we've rooted it out of the big institutions, it's still going to be embedded in the smaller ones, which is kind of what worries me a little bit about the smaller NHS clinics opening. The idea is that the care will be holistic um, and that there'll be some mental health support and blah, 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 blah. But I don't know. I'm a little bit twitchy that it could just make it easier for lobby groups to get the claws in. It just seems like, and again, I, I you know, now you've got me worried. I don't want to get sued or anything, but uh, <laughs> it just seems like uh, the old sideways promotion in the church, you know, it just seems like we're, we're kicking the can down the road, mm. you know, and not stamping it out. Because what we want is, well, presumably what we want is, Full transparency and no one hiding anything and everyone announcing what they believe up front and not hiding behind this sort of sinister Willy Wonka sort of chitty chitty bang bang like like front that they all put on where they like, you know, they've got the lollipop and they're like, anyway, nothing's going on here. Don't worry. Listen to the children who have been fucking growing yeah. online. Mm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but uh, one, one thing that just occurred to me, like it seems very trendy to be non-binary or, or to identify as one of these uh, categories. Like ca- can't we make like just, just being gay cool? Like, you know, yeah. then, then, then maybe we wouldn't be trying to make gay I think it is cool people... again now though. It's rock and roll. If you're, if you're like, everyone's like, what are you? And you go, I'm gay. Like and they and you're just a white dude and you're gay. I think that's pretty rock and roll. It's like the Sex Pistols or something, you know? Because <laughs> you're you're the bad guy again, you know? Well, yes. I suppose the thing is about lesbianism, and I'm I'm bisexual, but I'm 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 super partner to a woman, and I think the thing about it is is that it kind of they're always at the bottom of the heap because they don't want men's approval, and I do think that is something that you can't rebrand. <laughs> it just is. I think lesbians are damn cool, but. Granted, I can see, I can see it's, um, well, you know, when, when, when you're, I don't know, 15 and, uh, you, you know, all your mates are competing to, to have men find them or have boys find them attractive. I can see it's, it's a really hard sell. <laughs> well, now that we've got some of these rulings, we've got another problem of the, these of preferred narratives. So, for example, one of the Tavistock's victims um, and, um, and Stonewall both have different takeaways. 
from the ruling. So from, from this is from the BBC. So Kira Bell, who who brought a high court case against Tavistock challenging its use of puberty blockers, said she was pleased it was closing, adding, quote, many children will be saved from going down the path that I went down, close quote. Um, an LGBT rights group, self-styled, uh, uh, said Stonewall said that it was pleased that the NHS was addressing quote unacceptable quote uh, close quote waiting times faced by young trans people trying to access gender identity healthcare. So we have two narratives here. Yeah. So so if they haven't if they if there's no acceptance of what's going on on the part of Stonewall and people like them, I feel like that's that's a problem. It is. I mean, it's worth bearing in mind that this is not the final report. Um, so this was this isn't like the CAS review. This is one of her reports that will lead to the review. So I think perhaps there might be more clarity by the time that's published. And I suspect by the time that's published, there may well be some more cases as well. And we might actually... I suppose what I want, I'm, I'm, I'm impatient and a romantic, and I want the moment... I want the Hitler in the bunker moment. I, you know, there's a meme where he, he gets the bad news and yeah. he has to accept that he, he fucking blew it. Yeah. Oh, that's the moment that I want. I want that Stonewall moment where they go, where they go, how's it going? And it's like, no, we blew it. It's over. We, we've ruined yeah. all these lives and it's your fault. And they go, really? Yes. <laughs> will, I, will I get it, Joe? I don't think so. No, I mean, I I reckon all the celebrities, all the morons who kind of cheered it along are going to go, oh, no, I always had reservations. I mean, it will inevitably come out because it just takes so much energy to sustain a lie. So, you know, I do think it will come out, but I think you will have a lot of reverse ferreting, a lot of um, hastily deleted tweets. Um, People will probably move on to the next thing. I've noticed even Erin Jones, who has obviously been a massive trans cheerleader, he's he's a nasty little um, uh, sort of agitprop journalist. Um, Even he shut up about it. Really? Yeah, he's not been saying... He was all in. He was 100% all in. Even he's quietened down Jamelia Jamil. She got kind of roasted recently, didn't she, for um, for praying, I think. I do think there's a little bit of recognition that, oh, might have bucked the wrong side. But rather than sort of holding their hands up and saying, sorry... Uh, you know, sorry about mutilating and sterilising a whole fucking generation of children. Oops. Um, instead of that, I think they're just sort of going to quieten down, pretend that they always had reservations, focus on something else. I think, gutting though it is, I think they'll probably get away with it. Yeah, well, we've sort of got a model for this. Like, I, I feel like that's happened with a lot of the COVID COVID stuff. Like, people who are all in on lockdowns, I mean, especially here in, here in Australia, I mean, Melbourne was was crazy for it you're seeing people that were like oh you know i i wasn't really that that into it you know so i think you're going to see some some backpedaling and people that just sort of don't fess up to to ever being on board with it yeah yeah yeah, totally i mean i would love to have known what happened for example to those girls after the salem witch trials when they were all standing in the court and pointing and pretending that you know they'd seen um goody whatever with the devil you know i'd love to have seen what happened after when they grew up when they sort of realized that you know when they sort of snapped out of it and did did they apologize did they kind of feel any guilt probably not (laughs) i think it's probably just too much of a a a burden to recognize what you might have been a part of as well maybe i'm heartened by some of these wins that we've had and and we'll we'll circle back to some of them as well i want to hear about alison bailey perhaps but i'm also struck by with sadness for the victims of this mind virus uh you know as you say first and foremost the children and women and girls who've had their 
their rights stripped and and their lives you know irreparably destroyed probably but also think about the people who in a short space of time had their reputations tarnished and or even their lives destroyed and I, and this is my own you know personal um thought here i think of jermaine greer uh who was deplatformed and cancelled before it was cool a few years back for saying an opinion that um you know that trans women uh, were not real women and an opinion though blunt is is now revealed as you know getting very close to being mainstream thought like and i just feel like i think she this woman's a hero and particularly to my mum, you know as a second generation a, a sort of second wave feminist proper woman like who was for you know fighting for material change in women's lives yeah. and i just wonder if we should apologize or do something to people like her and everyone else you know um now that we've got a bit of puff you know like a bit of a, a, a truth and reconciliation style <laughs> <laughs> something <laughs> yeah. something a wreath playing and saying i'm sorry we blew it we weren't there we didn't protect you and we all said oh jermaine greer she's a bit like if i ca- if i counted all the feminists who jumped off uh jermaine like like i was you know i was just shocked at the way she was hung out to dry yeah. and it's for for not thinking what other people thought and i'm like wow that is so ungrateful you yeah know, on, on one level yeah i mean well as you know this is this is an issue i changed my mind on probably I started to do my own research and actually think about things critically, probably at about the same time as um, Jermaine Greer was being monstered for that comment about 2000, 2015. And I kind of think if you have if you have jumped to a conclusion, the only thing you can do is bloody be honest about it and take a bit of responsibility and then try not to do it again. Like it has made me generally more open-minded and more receptive to opinions without that, that I perhaps once would have thought were bigoted or I might have I might have just sort of had a bit of a knee-jerk reaction to so if I have an emotional reaction to something now I try and check myself obviously I still mess up all the time but I try and I kind of think that's the only thing that people can can do to stop repeating this is to is to firstly own it and secondly just try to be aware if they have a strong emotional reaction that that might not be logical. So I want to ask you about a term that I've only just read about and it's a term called the cotton ceiling. Now, here's a tweet uh, from Alison Bailey that mentions this term. Stonewall recently hired Morgan Page, a male-bodied person who ran workshops with the sole aim of coaching heterosexual men identifying as lesbians on how they can coerce young lesbians into having sex with them. Page called this overcoming the cotton ceiling, and it's popular. So what is the cotton ceiling? What, What are they talking about here? So it's essentially a really revolting play on the idea of the glass ceiling, which is what feminists refer to as a point in a woman's career where she just couldn't proceed any further um, because of discrimination. So it's essentially male-bodied trans activists, i.e. men, who call themselves lesbians, claiming that they are being discriminated against by lesbians because they don't want to have sex with them. It's essentially rape culture. It's just fucking gross. Um, And Morgan Page, who is next stripper, um, he uh, was on Stonewall's trans advisory group, and um, it was him who ran one of those sessions in Toronto for Planned Parenthood, um, and that's what she was referring to in the tweet. So during the case, there was a lengthy discussion, and it was quite amusing to hear um, to hear kind of you know esteemed QCs as they were then our Casey's um, reading out. Um, 
uh, tweets and all the rest of it from insane trans activists about um, the barriers that these, you know, terribly discriminated against heterosexual men feel <laughs> at, um, at the hands of, um, of these terrible lesbians who have, you know, boundaries, i.e. not shagging men. Uh. Bigotry. <laughs> I say bigotry. Isn't this just sort of a, a rebranded version of... Back in the day, they used to say, well, you know, lesbians, they just need a, you know, they just need a good Alternia. Roger. That, yeah. that, that sort of thing, exactly. There's always the grossest guys saying it as yes. well. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, you, you won't turn them and you definitely won't yes. turn them. No, it's, yeah, it is. I mean, any woman who, you know, is in a relationship with another woman and has been to the pub and has, you know, dared to hold her partner's hand at the bar will have had some lechy old bloke go, our turn, your love. It is exactly that, except with a bit of a woke wash. Yes. Um, and yeah, that's what our um, that's what our gay rights organisations like Stonewall <laughs> are now pushing. So um, yeah, and funny enough, John Nicholson, um, who I mentioned earlier, he um, was when when he was giving evidence earlier, he said that um, a lesbian is anyone who identifies as a lesbian. And um, if you if you question Obsessed with genitals. Well, how, how have we gone from accepting gay and lesbian people and realizing that being gay is is not a choice to calling them transphobes and bigots, claiming now that sexual orientation is inherently discriminatory? Like this is a huge about face, you know. I mean, how how can Stonewall have these positions? I mean, they used to fight for for, for gay rights back in the day. Yeah, I mean, I think the only answer that makes sense to me is money. Um, and Ruth Hunt in 2019, she left Stonewall, but in 2016, 2015, something like that, she accepted quite a large grant basically to become trans inclusive. A short while before that, she um, undertook a survey, I think, with 430 uh, trans identified people. Um, it was, um, she commissioned somebody who she's now set up in business with and possibly more who um, then decided that this was going to be the new Stonewall policy. They rolled it out, and it was blatantly because same-sex marriage had been achieved. They didn't have anywhere to go. Um, it was clear that if she wanted to keep Stonewall um, running, if you like, that was the only way to do it because all you know, legal parity had been achieved, so obviously trans was the next big money spinner. I mean, you know, you're never going to get... Um, any sort of campaign group and I include in that campaign groups that I might support um, like for example domestic violence charities you're never going to have them say there's been a drop in this or there's been a drop in that it's you know it's not it doesn't make financial sense if you want to keep the money coming in you have to look for a new thing you have to look for a new and you know that's that's kind of how the charity third sector works. So Joe, do you think that maybe just to stop this kind of thing or you know I'm just thinking out loud here do you think that um, there should be a clear horizon sort of built in from day one to stop these things becoming businesses. I mean, what's wrong with coming into your charity or lobby group and saying, good morning, everyone, let's keep fighting and looking forward to the day that we don't have to come into work anymore. Yeah. Like, you know, like, like, like it's make it more project based rather than lifestyle based because once it becomes a, a business, uh, then everyone has a stake in, in drumming up more business. Yeah, totally. And I can see that, um, you know, when you've got staff dependent on you and all the rest of it, it can seem clear cut from the outside. It probably wasn't. It probably was quite difficult to say, well, you know, you can all piss off and find new jobs. It's not. <laughs> but at the same time, the harm that has been unleashed by that decision is, um, 
is is almost kind of unconscionable. It's just disgusting. Um, but it's like, don't they want it to be over? It's like, it's like, it's it, it's like, guys, don't you want to put the, down the AK forty sevens? Don't you want to come out for, down from the mountains? Don't don't you I want? Do. You know? I mean, I think the other thing is there's so much. I love it. Yeah, I also think we've got this weird sort of. I don't know what it is, almost like a sort of wider mania to, to, to be a victim, a status at the moment in proclaiming oneself a victim. And I do think that's something that you can see all over social media um, is, um, yeah, so that there's a currency to be made out of being vulnerable, out of being a victim, out of being needy almost. Um, and I think it perhaps plays into that as well. I, I, I can't quite describe it. I'm probably not being terribly articulate, but I do feel like there's... Yeah, there's something strange psychologically going on. I don't know if perhaps it's been uh, fueled by social media, but there's definitely um, a benefit to being seen as a victim at the moment. I agree with that. Now, I have a question that is too hot for TV, so set me straight if I'm off base. Uh, but it's been on my mind for quite a while. To what degree is the trans movement and its excesses uh, driven by kinky horny heterosexual men so i'm thinking about the the black pampers these masked guys at the protest the aggressive signs we see the endless calls to, for, to suck people's dicks i've never seen more signs with the word kind of you know <laughs> i want you to do what i said so the online abuse featuring rape and sexual violence and that usually goes uncensored and unpunished uh the gaslighting with the goal of shaming lesbians into having heterosexual which we talked about uh, there's a distinct masculine energy behind some of this stuff and also a glee in being able to talk, and this is a dirty secret, in, in being able to talk endlessly about and graphically about sex in public with women. So, which is a, that's a sign of, of, of um, sort of male sexuality run rampant. That's, that's the goal. You want to be able to talk about your disgusting kinks at a meeting and get away with it. So, I mean, what, what, what do you think? To what degree is this, is this movement driven by exactly what I said, kinky, horny, heterosexual men? Yeah, I think it's, um, I think actually it's, it's no coincidence that it has um, broken out as a civil rights movement at exactly the same time as pornography um, has become freely and easily accessible. Um, and I, I think the two are absolutely intrinsically linked. Um, and there are, specific genres there's a, a huge thing called um pornography um where basically men fantasize about um becoming women and um it's it's incredible oh, sissies yes it's yeah oh god ricky you wouldn't know about this this is a thing this is everywhere you can't <laughs> it's this thing it's it is it's uh, it's to say it's popular is I mean, this was, it's, it's like Avatar. Everyone went to see it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. It is, it is a thing. And I think sort of the mantras and all the rest of it. So something, so there's a woman called Genevieve Gluck who's done some really interesting research into this. But a lot of the um, the mantras, if sex work is work, trans women are women, all these sorts of really simplistic. There's a thing called um, hypnosissy porn where basically. Yes. Yeah. They weirdly think that they can kind of brainwash themselves into becoming women. It's they make these videos that are like um, recruitment videos. They're, they're, they're hypnot hypnotizing with, with, with like uh, sort of epilepsy-inducing flashes and yeah. text and everything. Wow. So I've been told. Really. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. So it's, it's like, really like a form of conversion therapy, sort of. Yeah, kind of, kind of, yeah. but um, one that they sort of happily went into. And, I mean, I think, to be honest, the only 
way you can think that you're in some way intrinsically a woman on the inside is if you have or indeed anything on the inside that you're not is if you have a really reductive stereotype of that and I think to a lot of the men I think they are particularly dangerous a lot of the men who identify as trans and who once would have been seen perhaps as transvestites because if they think they can step into a woman's experience like they can a fucking pair of frilly pants like they can a costume it clearly suggests that they have reduced the idea of a woman to a sexy stereotype in their head. It's clearly something they're turned on by, and they think, well, you know, I'm going to embody that. They are going to embody sex. That is what they are doing, because to them, women are nothing more than an idea in a man's head, than sex. That's what they're trying to be. So, yeah, I think it is absolutely driven by sexual desire. I think that's why they're so angry about it when challenged. Um, I think that um, I mean, even it's, it's even quite visible in some of the protests. So a couple of weeks ago, I don't know whether either of you caught this, but there was a protest outside the Equality and Human Rights Commission, which is one of our bodies, which essentially it's like a government watchdog, to check that, um, that statutory bodies aren't breaking the law um, when it comes to matters of equality. And they, funnily enough, have said, oh, well, you know, there's a little bit more to this sex and gender thing. And they've started to suggest that maybe single-sex spaces aren't discriminatory. Now, in response... Trans activists stood outside of it, all men, and they filled up 60 bottles of piss. Mm. Oh, God. Yeah. Yes. Um, because because that's clearly the sort of thing that a woman could do. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, my aim's good, but nah. Um. And, and poured, <laughs> one of them poured it all over themselves in, in out in front. And I was just struck, but I was like, why has being on the right side of history got to be so gross? Exactly. So <laughs> a man in a, a transparent ball gown and a balaclava stands in front of a human rights body and drenches himself in piss whilst weeing himself. And oh, coincidentally, you can see his dick. Yeah, of course, it's not a fetish. Mm, of course, it's a bit But that was, th- they've outed themselves as males because that that is the most male idea I've ever heard of. Like, I can picture the meeting. Hey, guys, i got an idea. <laughs> if you guys got some Mount Franklin bottles, I'll show you. I mean, you know? I mean it, it literally marking their territory. I mean, just <laughs> what? Yes. What? Um, yes. I hadn't yeah. thought of that. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I think it is quite clear that this is, well, there's a brilliant um, uh, feminist, again, second wave feminist, um, she still writes a lot, um, called Sheila Jeffries, and she's described trans activism as a male sexual rights movement. And every time I think about that, I'm just like, no, I can't make it any more succinct than that. It is a male sexual rights movement. And that's not to say there aren't absolute pain in the ass women who identify as men, but I think just the whole feeling of it, everything they've kind of absorbed about themselves, they're still very masculine. So quite often, um, a couple of weeks ago, there was a, a, a... a pride march and there were a load of women who identify as men inviting transact uh, inviting turfs to suck their cocks i mean you know it's clearly their idea of being a man is being sexually aggressive it is just riddled through with sexual violence and with um yeah i think it's one and the same but john and i were speaking earlier today about uh about the concept of shame and that you know shame used to be something that was used to i guess rein in some of this bad behavior that can spill out male sexuality in particular yes to to rein in male sexuality and and maybe to uh, force them to channel their energies in, in, in different areas, like, I don't know, building bridges or digging holes or <laughs> fixing stuff, you know, inventing shit. I don't know. But do you think, you know, we need to bring shame back in some form? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I haven't gone to a Pride March for years. Um, 
last one I went to sexually, essentially, um, kind of a, a, a fetishist's parade. It wasn't about. Um, I mean, that's the other thing. It, it annoys me that, in a way, um, sexual orientation is reduced to being about. I mean, in some ways, yes, it's about who you have sex with, but it's also about who you have a relationship with, who you have a life with. There's more to it than just sex. Leather chaps. Yeah, exactly. And I have heard, and again, this is something that um, uh, that she, Jeffrey, who I mentioned earlier, something an idea that she's come up with, which is actually there are some aspects of gay male sexuality which are particularly problematic in this regard because there isn't, if you like, the the need to moderate their behaviour in order to be accepted by a woman. I've told my wife this all the time. I said, you know, I said, if 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 I was that way inclined, if I got you out of the way, it would be on. I'd be like, <laughs> I, this is why, look at what happens in the gay community. Uh, it's just like we don't we just get we get it done it's the we go to a toilet block that's where it happens <laughs> we just it's on and we, we have you know like so I, I know exactly what you're getting at there there's 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 not that uh that limiter yeah and i kind of i feel like in some ways that it makes me deeply uncomfortable to say that because it does kind of sound homophobic and it does also reduce women to like you know checks on on male behavior but at the same time i just think yeah. there's an incontrovertible truth to it that i don't like to admit but i just it does. It kind of. It kind of makes sense. I mean, you don't get women wandering around, wandering around, I don't know, graveyards cottaging, do you? It's just not a thing. You don't get saunas for like, you know, gay male saunas are a big thing, pretty much everywhere. There is something about male sexuality when they're in the company of other men. I don't know. It's just like testosterone squared. Who the fuck? I don't understand it entirely, but there's clearly something there. So yeah, I do think that perhaps having um, that that allows something to be unleashed that perhaps should be should be checked in terms of, you know, pride marches should clearly be about, and, and pride in being, you know, loving who you love should clearly be about the person as a whole, not as a, a whole with an H, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> uh, goodness me. Well, well, we'll take a sharp left turn into uh, something, mm, well, it's all heavy, isn't it? But it's, it's arguably slightly lighter. I just wanted to ask you about uh, Matt Walsh's documentary, uh, What is a Woman? So you actually have written a review uh, for the film on Spiked. And uh, I, firstly, I just probably should ask, what, what did you make of it? I thought it was excellent. Um, I thought it was really necessary. Um, and, um, and I'm pleased that it has been sort of picked up by a wider audience or, you know, for a wider audience. Mm. Well, perhaps for our listeners who haven't seen the documentary, Matt Walsh uh, he, he travels the world asking a range of people, uh, I mean, he asks uh, people, leaders in the field of transgender medicine, but he also goes to Kenya to chat to the Maasai tribe there to define the word woman. And as you uh, can imagine, it's uh, the Western gender experts that are unable to give a straight answer. Um, I was quite struck by it, but do, do, do you have do you have many criticisms of it? I, I think maybe he could have spoken to, I don't know, a few more... A, f- a few more other people, like I, I'm thinking maybe Abigail Schreier or kind of other people that are fighting in that space, you know? Yeah, I mean, I do, personally, from what I've seen of him online, I don't like him. <laughs> um, I think um, I think the film was necessary. I'm pleased that he made it. But um, in response to a very gentle criticism that I gave, which was essentially, it would have been nice if he could have acknowledged some of the work done by feminists on this. Um, because, you know, feminists have been, 
hanging this particular drum for a very long time. Yes. And obviously we, we haven't been listened to because, um, well, you know, like it or lump it, patriarchy is a thing. I'm sorry, but it just is. Um, and we have been ignored and we have been sort of divided and sneered at and vilified and all the rest of it. And then he comes along, thinks he's a bloody saviour and doesn't bother to acknowledge or or, or speak to, um, to, to any women. So when I sort of made that very gentle, and I did it very gently, because as I say, generally speaking, I think it's a really good film and a really good, I'm really pleased that he made it. Um, he set his followers on me and was clearly outraged. Which, um, which I think sort of suggested to me that he had a, a paper thin ego. I mean, it was, it was. I think it was a valid criticism. Um, and um, something as well that I feel has been sort of not really acknowledged or brushed over is the fact that at the beginning of the film and at the end of the film, you can see that he's actually very, very wedded to um, so-called gender stereotypes. And this is a kind of a double-edged sword because, you know, there's a nature-nurture thing and all the rest of it. But at the same time, um, he um, has his wife making him a sandwich at the end of the at the end of the film and doing this. Oh, I don't know. Have a sandwich, dear. Um, and it just sort of suggested to me, well, yes, but in part, the reason that um, these young children, in particular, who sort of you know, young children or children young, you know, these children who who feel that they're in the wrong body is because they don't match stereotypes and they don't match the very stereotypes that somebody like Matt Walsh um, promotes. So I do think actually kind of conversely and weirdly, he has a part in perpetuating the very thing that he is now ridiculing. And that kind of irritates me. Yeah, well, they, they used to call it gender non-conforming. That, that's, that's sort of a term that you, you don't hear anymore, because I guess if, you, if you're a boy who's into feminine things or you're a girl who's a tomboy and likes to, I don't know, like sports, then, then you must be, you must be born in the wrong body. Yeah. Um, and I just... There was something, you know, about his, him sort of... And, and don't get me wrong, I think there are patterns between the sexes, sure, but at the same time, enforcing that um, leads to exactly those sorts of rigid thinking whereby you think you have to change your body. So that irritated me. Mm. Well, do, do you feel like... The, we don't have to spend too much time on it, but do, do you feel like uh, in a different time, this film because it is a necessary film and it was sort of uh certain people certain powerful entities tried to sort of sideline the film it made it difficult and whatnot i feel like in a different time this would have been made by someone else uh you know like we used to watch 20 years ago you'd go to the cinema and you'd watch bowling for columbine and there'd be a a, a sort of a an irreverent uh, dangerous lefty filmmaker who would make something shocking, a documentary. We'd all go and see it and go, oh, that's shocking. And then we talk about the issue. Whereas it's such now that that all of those people have been totally co-opted by the cult and the uh, and all that's left heroes come in the strangest forms this is like a western where you need the wild bunch to come and save you from the banditos like it's taken a proud conservative who who you know we all probably have very different politics to him and and the daily wire in general and it's taken that guy to make this documentary i feel like all the people who should have made it are instead making black and white imagine videos about apologizing to black people and, and stuff <laughs> Mm. you know <laughs> succinctly put yeah no totally um um i mean yes where is michael moore where are you know yes absolutely i i, I think i've noticed more more over the past few years that actually the most interesting radical thinkers seem to be on the right and yeah 
it's it's there's much I might not agree with, but at least they're prepared to ask questions. And and yeah, I find your sort of your your Douglas Murray types far more interesting and engaging, and um, um, than um, than your sort of yeah. I mean, essentially, it always feels like to to, to be a left winger now, you can't just have the one view. You can't just sort of I don't know believe in a. Um, a a planned economy or whatever it happens to be, you you have to adopt a whole set of other values that um, are actually kind of based on the most, the the end point of capitalism in that, you know, it's based on, um, on chopping people up and regarding them as as sort of identities, as, um, as commodities, as sort of commodifying bodies, um, which is an intensely kind of neoliberal way of looking at the world. Yet that is a view that you have to, um, have to espouse, and those are the views. Whether it's racial politics, whether it's um, whether it's gender identity, that's that's the sort of view that you have to take if you're a lefty now. And it's it's stifling. I, I have heard it said that actually the sort of the the left right thing would probably be better understood, and that that's dead, and it perhaps might be better understood as um, those who trust institutions and those who don't trust institutions. And that mm. makes a lot more sense to me, actually. Um, and I, I kind of feel like I'm firmly somebody who now no longer trusts institutions. <laughs> mm. Yeah, well, those those old left-right distinctions don't seem to carry much weight anymore. They, they don't seem to make any sense. Um, but uh, in light of some of maybe the positive signs we've seen, what what areas do you now see as important fronts for for women's rights? Where where should we be focusing on? Had um, this insanity about having to defend the very definition of woman not um, come up, and had I not have ended up wasting so much bloody time um, trying to defend reality, um, I think pornography. Because I think I think um, that has had such a, a profound effect on society, and I mean, you know, we just just neurologically the damage that it does to men who and indeed women who use porn regularly is um, is overlooked. I think the societal implications of it have been totally ignored, and I think trans activism is probably a facet of that. So I think pornography tackling pornography is absolutely pivotal i also think and again i think it ties into the same idea of having women as commodities as costumes as commodities as things you can either buy to become or buy to use it's surrogacy and i think the connections between the um surrogacy industry um prostitution i mean it's essentially a form of prostitution and transgenderism particularly as we now have a lot of people who are infertile thanks to these horrible procedures um is it's going to be undeniable. It's, it's it's going to be a massive thing, surrogacy. And I also think with um, with surrogacy, we're seeing the same sort of idea that it's getting wrapped up with the LGB um, as you know an option for gay men, an option for. And I think it's all part of the same pretty unpleasant commodification of the human body. Isn't it? Isn't it also uh, a, a bit of a class thing as well? Because surrogacy is a you can't do it if you're if you're just you know a working class person right like it's something that you need to have a bit of cash and nows to do right oh absolutely i mean it is creating a class of in itself it's creating a class of um of, of, of breeders <laughs> i mean it's like never let me go that that um oh, the, 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 uh, the, yeah 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 the, and, and the film with with your kira your beloved kira from your country <laughs> Uh, I haven't seen, haven't seen film, um, but um, yeah. it's really good. It's a total junk punch. Uh, just as okay. an aside. Oh, anyway. um, 
I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, what's happening in Ukraine at the moment, well, there are so many pregnant women there <laughs> who had been used as, as surrogates for, for rich women in the West or indeed rich parents in the West. It's grotesque, mm. absolutely yeah. grotesque. Well, John, John, didn't I share an article with you a little while ago about uh, a Hollywood actor couple that decided to do surrogacy rather than rather than set their careers back by, you know, going through nine months of pregnancy and... You know, no, that sounds absolutely 100% appalling. I, I, I can't remember oh the God. details of who these, these people were, but it's legitimate something that happened in Hollywood where these two actors who... Science fiction. It's it just, is science it's fiction. Cre- it's, yeah. It is Aldous Huxley yeah. stuff. Like, like, and and th- this is what I've found with a lot of all of this, you know, just to give a pullback to, the, to, to whatever you want to call it, the work movement or whatever we're calling it now, this set of ideas, it's uh, when you look at it as a sociological... Uh, phenomenon and and a set of ideas it's actually weirder than anything nixium are saying it's weirder than anything any cult uh came up with and 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 uh, but the difference is you're yeah you have to sign a contract when you when you take your kid to a a school like they've got some of those ideas in there you go to work and you do some of a, a training session with uh videos that are just as creepy as as again any creepy cult video so you know, you've got to have bizarre sexual interests. You've got to talk about your bizarre sexual interests with normal people in settings that have nothing to do with that. We are, we've entered into a very, what I feel, it feels like in my more dramatic moments, a very dystopian sort of time. Uh, uh, yes. That's the end of my <laughs> I hijacked the interview. Sorry. No, no, um, I, I totally agree. Um, I, I, I don't think I've got anything um, particularly useful to add to that other than yes. I was hoping you would say, oh, come on, things aren't that bad. It's all fine. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> King Charles is going to be great. Everything's going to be great. No, it's shit. But it's shit. And we are, um, I don't know. It's difficult, isn't it? I think in my sort of more pessimistic moment, moments, I kind of I, I look at what's going on in the UK and I think, well, that's great and all, but it's it's rolling out in in India. It's God knows what's happening in China. It's you know it's it's obviously captured uh, all over the world thanks to uh, largely American NGOs um, and indeed European NGOs sort of enforcing this ideology, promoting this ideology. But then I, I do kind of just keep coming back to this really basic, perhaps optimistic and perhaps stupid idea that it does take more energy to sustain a lie than it does the truth. So yes. I kind of, I can't, I, I do keep falling back to truth will out because it has to. <laughs> mm. Maybe that's, maybe that's a bit naive. No, not at all. And I don't think we can top that. I'm, I'm not going to let anything more be said. So that, that's that. Uh, uh, well, we all, well, you know, we like to know what you're reading, Joe. Come on. What are you reading? Now? Um, so at the moment I'm, um, I'm actually listening to the audio book because I'm really bad. That's reading. That counts. Yeah, I know, I know. Counts. I don't tend to read books if I've got to bloody review them. Um, I, I, I listen to audio books most of the time. I've been, I've been listening to, um, Stephen Pinker, Better Angels of Our Nature, um, just because I have been going through um, a sort of process of listening to and reading authors who I once would have dismissed as outside of my little cosy sphere of acceptable opinions. So I thought I'd force myself to be a bit uncomfortable and um, and, and dip into some pinker. 
I love that book. I recommend that book to everybody. I think it's an amazing book. I and in fact, I read a tweet of yours the other day. You said you were you were you were uh, very politely saying, "What's the big deal with Stephen Pinker?" Yeah. Well, I got a bit further now. And I, <laughs> well, it's um. So I mean, we'll, we'll have to know. What are you making of the book? It's making me deeply uncomfortable, but at the same time, I'm finding it very hard to. Um, to come up with cogent arguments against it. So um, I, I think actually that's probably a good thing. It's great. <laughs> the, 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 just the, ma- the the graphs in the middle. I've sent the graphs in the, in the to people. For, there's all these graphs of, that show you the the, the over time that the, uh, that all the the violence and crime uh, have dropped and dropped and dropped. And people hate these facts. And and uh, it doesn't mean, as he says in the book, it doesn't mean. We have to stop doing good stuff, okay? You can keep doing good stuff, but you have to acknowledge that, you know, that it's gone down sometimes to the point where it's not even really happening anymore. Yeah. You know, and uh, so, yeah, good stuff. Mm. Great choice. It's some of the um, the, uh, stuff about the apes, chimps, and the sort of behavior of chimps has just, uh, um, and I've I've always sort of shied away from comparisons with the animal kingdom, but at the same time, yeah, it's kind of, makes sense. Mm. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Well, that's great. I might have to pick up a copy of it. Uh, so, Joe, if people want to follow you, is Twitter Twitter the best way to do that? Yeah, uh, until I'm banned, Twitter. Okay. <laughs> and also, I, I recommend people check you out on Spiked. I'm a I'm a big fan of Spiked, but obviously, all your other uh, news news organisations that you write for. I write a lot for the Critic as well. Um, so yeah, they're they're, they're good ones. So yeah. Cool. Thank, thank you so much for, um, for, for interviewing me. And I really hope I haven't rambled too much. Not at all, Joe. No, it was, it was an absolute pleasure. I, I just, you know, it's so great catching up with you about all this stuff. And we want to do it again. And what, what it's been a little little while since we've, we've caught up. And take this as a, as a compliment. I, I, I sense that you are mad as hell and you're not going to take it anymore. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and I like it. I like yeah. it. Cool. Really nice to speak to you, babe.